Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke this to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with the li his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamer, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry, because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be done. But Hamer spoke with him, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give us your daughters, give your daughters to us, and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us, and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, uh, let me find favor into, in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask for me as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamer deceitfully, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to him, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. The words pleased Hamer and Hamer's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamer and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it, for behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters, only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city listened to Hamer and his son Shechem and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamer and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field, and all their wealth, all their little ones, and their wives, all that was in the house, they captured and plundered. When Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, 
the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Then to Matthew. We pick up in chapter 1, verse 18. No, it's not Christmas yet, in spite of what the shops telling, are telling you right now, uh, and in spite of this, Christ, this reading. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you, will, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the, dream, the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And then finally, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's read a portion of this from verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Uh, and if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in, in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the hand, head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. I first came across the story of Dinah as a young Christian uh, in my teens. And I must admit that I found it to be, at the time, 
in some ways, I mean, you've got to track with me on this, one of the funniest stories in the Bible. Uh, now, funny not in the sense of Mr. Bean kind of, you know, funny. Funny more in the sense of that really dark black humor that you get in a lot of films today. Because think about this, you know, here's this whole situation where they do this despicable thing. Um, this guy rapes Dinah. I mean, that's horrible. So Dinah is raped. She's completely defiled. She's completely humiliated. I mean, uh, rape is bad enough, but rape in that context, in that time, uh, you, you, it's almost difficult for us to imagine in our context today. And so she's raped. And so then the guy, after raping her, says, hey, I, I, I'm loving this woman. But get the, the message here is not that he's fallen in love with her, some kind of romantic love. The message is I'm really lusting after this woman, and I want to make her part of my harem so I can have sex with her whenever I want to have sex with her. That's the, that's the subtext that's going on here in this story. So uh, his Pops goes in. And, uh, and says to Jacob, okay, Jacob, you know, what can, what, what can we do here? Uh, my son really wants, you know, your, your daughter. And Jacob, you know, he's kind of a little weasley about this whole thing and, and, and hesitant and all that. Uh, and then the sons come in and, and, and they all say, okay, well, all right, on this, on this occasion, if everybody in your village. Now, it talks about a city here, but it's not talking about a city the size of London. It's probably talking about a city, um, maybe a dozen, uh, 20 families tops, you know, so kind of more of a small settlement than a big city, uh, but one of the, the settlements that are in the land. And he says, okay, on this, this is the deal. If every member of your city, every man in your city is circumcised, then you can have Dinah. And they go, yay, okay, that sounds like a good deal. Now, for me, that doesn't sound like a good deal. I mean, for me personally, at the time, I'm thinking, no way, no way in the world. So what do they do? They, they all agree. And then, uh, and then the father, son, they go, uh, and they talk to the men in the village and say, hey, guys, here's the deal. If we're all circumcised, not only does my son get Dinah, but they'll start intermingling with us and they'll trade with us and in the end, we're going to get everything they own. Okay, so this is what's happening in the story. It's like, not only do we get the girl, but we ultimately get everything. We get all their possessions. We can take it all. And so all the men, they say, yeah, yeah, that's great. So they go and they all get circumcised. So you can imagine this whole city of guys kind of walking around like this. You know, just kind of... They just kind of barely move. Uh, you know, so it's three, on the third day, the text says, while they're still sore. So I'm picturing this in my mind. You know, this whole village of guys just kind of with their robes, kind of holding the robes out a little bit so they don't touch anything. And it's just, and, and the pain of all of that, I can just begin to imagine, you know, the men are squirming, the women are laughing. Uh, that's what's happening right now. And that's kind of, so I'm seeing this, and then while they're all sore, the two brothers come in and they kill them. Now, I know, okay, that's not really funny, but I found it to be funny as a teenager. I found it to be darkly humorous to see all of this dynamic, and it was all a setup so they could kill him in the, in, in, in the first place. And, uh, and so, okay, so it makes you cringe a little bit, and it's a really, really rough story. But you look at it as well, and you kind of say, why is a story like that in the Bible? 
I mean, ultimately, think about it, that's, it might be darkly funny on one level, but at the same time, that's not the kind of thing you typically want to find in a holy book. And, and what's going on here? And the purpose of this story and the power of this story is because of what this story tells us about shame. We've been talking about shame. We've been talking about that, that really, really deep, dark, painful emotion that you're inadequate, that you're broken, that you're damaged, that something's not quite right, that you're just not quite enough, that comes from something you do or something that's done to you uh, or uh, something that's done to people around you. And it's, it's the number one emotion that drives humanity today. No matter what culture you're in, no matter what country you're in, shame is such a powerful, powerful emotion. And this passage, as in much of Genesis, much of the Old Testament, and much of the Bible, is actually dealing with shame. It's dealing with shame. And it's also giving us some clues that will be fulfilled later in the text about how we deal with shame, particularly the shame of what has been done to you. How do the people of God address this fundamental issue? We need to understand today that there is a demonic weaponization of shame. I mean, shame is bad enough in and of itself. And shame has always been with humanity from the time of the fall. Shame is there, but today... Demons are weaponizing shame to bring down people, to cause wars, to divide the body of Christ, and to make Christians less effective and less fruitful in their lives. There is a weaponization of shame that is going on in our society and in our world, and we need to begin to grab a hold of that. Now, when you look at shame, you, we understand that there are a number of reasons why we experience shame. You know, we experience shame because we've done something wrong. When you do something wrong, shame is a normal human response to the fact we've done something wrong. It's almost built into our DNA in a sense. We also experience shame because we do something that shows people that we're really not enough, that we're inadequate, that, that we're incomplete in ourselves, usually before other people. So if we make a big mistake or something like that, oftentimes we'll, we'll experience shame. We also sometimes experience shame because of our connections. If you're closely connected with somebody who, who has done something shameful, then many times you'll experience shame from that. But one of the primary ways today, and it's increasing in our world, that people experience shame is because of what someone has done to you. And we are seeing right now in the world today lives broken and torn apart and strewn about because of what others have done to them that has triggered shame in their lives. And if we don't understand how to address that shame because if you've done something wrong, you know how to address the shame. You go to Jesus, right? And you get forgiveness for what you've done wrong. But what happens if you haven't done anything wrong? What happens if you're a, a two-year-old child who is, who is molested? 
What happens if you're a young woman walking on the street who is suddenly raped? What happens if you're somebody who has just been uh, abused by your boss and, and laughed at and exposed to other people in, in your company? What do you do about that? You haven't done anything wrong. How do you address that? We have to understand that because that kind of shame has been there. That's what the whole story of Dinah is about. That kind of shame, the shame that comes from what somebody else does to you. But compounding this today is that demons have weaponized this shame and it is being used today by people, by families, by organizations, by systems, by society to manipulate and control other people. Let me give some examples. One way that shame is being used to manipulate and control others is through labeling. All you have to do to somebody is say, you are homophobic. And that immediately stops any kind of discussion and it's designed to make the other person feel ashamed and shut up. How about Islamophobic? Any kind of labeling that people are doing today, it's being used to trigger shame in other people for the purpose of controlling them, dominating them. It's not a godly thing, it's an ungodly thing. It's an ungodly thing. Or how about this? All the personal attacks that are going on today. I mean, we only had to look at, at uh, the latest Supreme Court nomination in the United States and see all these ad hominem attacks Nobody was really interested in finding out the facts. It wasn't about the facts. It was about using shame as a weapon to try to derail a nomination. Now, whether or not you support Brett Kavanaugh is actually immaterial. In fact, we don't know what he actually did. We didn't find out because that wasn't the issue. The issue was try to use shame as a weapon. How about dehumanizing and devaluing others with our words and our actions? One of the biggest things that people are doing now, uh, one of the, the greatest scourges at times in, in London around tube stations is what we call chuggers, you know, the charity muggers who are all trying to stop you to get your details. And if you watch how people respond, there's a lot of people who intentionally try to reject, not look at, not pay attention to the chugger. No, I admit it's kind of hard. But you know what that's doing? It's dehumanizing them. It is saying that you are less of a person and the function of that is to shame them into not bothering you. And there's that kind of dehumanizing thing. It's one of the things that's being used against Christians right now. It's labeling them, it's trying to dehumanize them, it's trying to tell society, oh, Christians, they bring bad stuff to society, not good stuff to society. And that completely circumvents the actual argument of whether or not Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, as he claims to be, and uses shame in order to shut Christians up and marginalize Christians and put them in a corner somewhere. Or another way that shame is being used as a weapon are things like, we, we talked today, fat shaming. You know, where people are being exposed as you know, overweight. You know, we, we think, okay, we're going to fat shame people and they'll lose weight. Or we diet shame people. Or we health shame people. Or we do the walk of shame. 
You know, law enforcement is using that as a tool. So what they do, if there's a prominent person that they arrest, they make sure everybody knows that they're going to be arrested so they can take them on the walk of shame in front of the media to convict them even before you know whether or not they're guilty. All of these are the weaponization of shame, and it's a demonic strategy in our world that's being used to manipulate and control people. So we have to know, we have to know what to do when people are doing stuff to us designed to trigger shame in our lives or when people have done stuff to us designed to trigger shame. And so we learn a lot of things from this story from Dinah that we need to pay attention to that are then applied a little bit more in the text that we read from, from the New Testament. First of all, for Dinah's story shows us that we must be careful about whom we associate with and making ourselves vulnerable amongst strangers, uh, vulnerable amongst the wrong people, or vulnerable about the world. One of the things you don't catch initially in the story of Dinah, what is she doing? She is going out with the women of the land. So Dinah, the, the subtext here that, that any person reading Hebrew would understand, what Dinah is doing is flirting with danger. She is putting herself in harm's way. She is exposing herself in ways that she should never expose herself. Now, that does not mean that Dinah is responsible for what Shechem does to her. That's not it at all. But it is a caution for us, and especially in a context where people want to shame us, who are looking to trigger shame in us so they can control and manipulate us, we got to be careful we need to be as wise as, dove, uh, wise as serpents and innocent as doves, as, as Jesus said. And we learned that from Dinah. A second thing that we learned from Dinah here very clearly is that we can experience shame because of something someone does to us through no fault of our own. Dinah was raped not because it was her fault. She was not raped because she was dressing nice. She was not raped even because she was associating with the women of the land where she shouldn't be. She was raped purely because of the sin of Shechem, that evil. He is the one responsible for it, but she is the one who felt defiled and shamed by it. And this can happen to us. Any sexual violation will trigger shame in the victim, even though it should trigger shame in the one who is the perpetrator. Any kind of sexual violence, any kind of sexual sin where one is the aggressor on the other will trigger shame. Any betrayal that we experience will trigger shame in the one who is betrayed when it actually should trigger shame in the one who does the betraying. Many times in a marriage, when a marriage breaks down, you know who's the one who feels the shame? It's the partner who doesn't want to get a divorce, not the partner who says, I'm going to get a divorce whether or not you want to even though it's that partner who should feel the shame. Any kind of rejection, neglect, or demeaning words from someone who is supposed to love you and protect you triggers shame in you. I think if I was Dinah, the very fact that my father, Jacob, was not defending me would have triggered shame. So Jacob is compounding the shame by not taking a clear stance in support of his daughter. But anytime someone who's supposed to care for us, a parent, a pastor, 
somebody in leadership, they, does, they do something demeaning to us, it will trigger shame in us. Anything that someone says or does that exposes us as seemingly different, weak, inadequate, or simply not enough will trigger shame in us. And associating with someone or some group who has acted shamefully or experienced shameful treatment can trigger shame. In this case, uh, Dinah's brothers felt shame because Dinah was shamed. They had shame, they experienced shame in themselves. We also learn from this story that the person who brings shame on you is the one who should feel shame, but almost never do they feel shame. Normally they don't feel shame. And if you fail to resolve your shame, the shame that was triggered in you, if you fail to deal with it, the person who has triggered shame in you will control you as long as you leave that shame unresolved. The person who triggers shame will control you as long as you leave that shame unresolved. We also learn that we cannot get a relief from shame from the person who triggers the shame in us in the first place. You know, the fact that Shechem now wanted to marry Dinah does not relieve Dinah of the shame. She still felt the shame. That was not going to heal her shame. We also learn that feeling anger and indignation is the normal human response to being shamed or having someone close to you being shamed by others. The way they responded is the way we should expect. When you feel angry because a parent or, or, or someone close to you has acted in a way that's triggered shame in you through no fault of your own, anger is a normal response. So often we try to bottle up the anger instead of expressing it, instead of, uh, uh, of understanding it, we try to bottle up and that never works because anger is a normal human response it should not drive us to disengagement, by the way. It should drive us toward healthy engagement so that the shame is resolved. In this case, it didn't quite, and we'll see that in a minute. People who willingly act to bring shame on you will also often try to take advantage of you in other ways as well. That's what Shechem and, and, and Haver were doing. They were saying, okay, if we get her to be our, your wife, then we'll get everything. They'll intermingle with us and we'll get all their stuff. We'll be able to take advantage of them. Next thing we learn is that violence, whether it's real or metaphorical, in this case it's real violence, is, this is important, is never the appropriate response to shame. Violence is never the appropriate response to shame. Violence will only bring a curse on the one who commits the violence even if it's in response to shame. That's what happened with Simeon and Levi. When it came time for Jacob to die, he cursed them, he did not bless them. And you can look to the end of Genesis to see that. And it was because of the violence they had done in this instance right here. So because they responded out of violence and anger and did not respond in a healthy way, they actually brought a curse on themselves, which compounded the situation. And here's the big lesson. The big takeaway from the story of Dinah is that we need a community of people around us to defend us and help us overcome the shame triggered by what others have done to us. 
If you are not engaged in a community, you will not get free from the shame. And this is the tragedy because so many people who have have experienced shame because of what others have done to them, you know what they do? They run away. They hide. They distance themselves. They take themselves out of community rather than engage themselves in community because it seems easier to do that. It seems easier to go out than it does to go in, but that is always a mistake because the only way, the only way that you will fully be free from the shame someone has triggered in you by their sinful behavior in your life is by being part of a community and by nurturing at least one or two close friendships in that community who can support you and encourage you and stand with you in the midst of that shame. Without that, without that, you will not overcome the shame of what's been done in your life. It won't happen. So this is the challenge for us as the body of Christ. And this is what God wants the church to be. This is what the church should have been and should have done from the beginning And at times it has been this, and it has done this, but frankly, the church of Jesus Christ in the world has not been this consistently. Many times it's been a community that uses shame and promotes shame to control other people instead of being a community that heals shame. But God's intention for us as the body of Christ, and you can see this in the church DNA that Paul deposits in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as well as other places around the New Testament, the intention of God is for the church to become a community of Jesus-honoring sons of God for the refusing and healing of shame. That's our call. That's what God wants to form us into, and that's what God wants to form us into as City Temple. So how does that happen? And again, this is essential because there are very few communities, in fact, I can't think of any community other than the church or a therapeutic community that's created, you know, like a a therapy group. I can't think of any community that can help people in the world get free from the shame that's been triggered in their lives other than the church of Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, this doesn't mean that God's design for the church is to be a therapeutic community. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that God's intention for us is that as we live together, as we relate together, as we worship together, as we serve together, as we learn together, as we do evangelism together, as we do mission together, as we do spiritual warfare together, as we are together as the body of Christ doing the things that God has called us to do, one of the byproducts of our life in Jesus Christ is so that we will be a community that heals shame. And I'm getting close to shouting, so pull back, Rod. Come back. Can I get an amen at least? Maybe that's why I'm shouting, because you're not saying amen enough. I know we don't normally say amen here, but there's sometimes we need an amen. So how do we do that? What are some of the clues that the text gives us? First, we must remember that only someone outside of ourselves and our shame can redeem us from shame. We cannot redeem ourselves from shame. 
And I cannot redeem any single one of you from shame because I'm subject to shame myself. The only one who can redeem us from shame is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he did that, as we've seen in previous weeks, in his death on the cross, embracing our shame, atoning for our shame, setting us free from our shame. And as he does that, what does he do? He makes us sons of God. He brings us in union with himself so that we become his bride. We become a spotless bride, a perfect bride. And he takes us in union with himself so that we become his body. Do you see how we are honored? We are now sons of God. We're not shameful sinners. We are now the spotless bride of Christ forever in union with him. We're not tagalongs. We are now the body of Christ who is essential to Christ's mission in the world being fulfilled. What a greater honor can we experience. And this means for us that as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, as sons of God, we must pray diligently and confidently for one another to be healed from the shame that has been done to us. We must pray confidently and intentionally for one another that we will be delivered, that we will be redeemed, that we will be healed from the shame that has been triggered in us by what someone has done in their sinfulness. Whether it's your parent, your mother, your father, a pastor, a leader, a teacher at school, a brother or sister, the person who abused you sexually, the person who abused you physically, the person who abused you uh, emotionally, the person who abused you verbally. We must pray for one another confidently and boldly because of who we are in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has overcome the shame. Second thing, we must recognize that we are all one body in Christ Jesus. And that means that we are one with Jesus and we are one with one another. We don't work for this unity. It's a gift of God in Jesus Christ. We are in union with one another because we are in union with Jesus Christ and that union with one another as we are united with Jesus Christ is what lifts us out of shame. Now this means that if you are a believer who is stuck in shame at any level, you need to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no other option. There's no other alternative. You might say, well, I don't like those people. I don't care if you like them or not. Some of them I probably don't like all that much. But that's not the issue. I'm one with them. You know, it doesn't matter if tomorrow morning I wake up and I look at Karen and say, I don't like you right now. Doesn't matter. I'm united to her. There's nothing that's going to change that union, so I need to get used to it. And that means that when I'm experiencing shame, I must run to my brothers and sisters in Christ, not run away from them. I must integrate myself further rather than allow myself to disintegrate from them. Absolutely essential. Number three. If we are to be a healing community that lifts people out of shame, we must resolve to value the weak, to honor the disgraced, and to cover the broken who have been shamed. That is, value the weak, honor the disgraced, and cover the broken shamed, showing them honor 
by affirming their worth, affirming their purpose, and affirming their integration. Quite frankly, if your brother or sister in Christ who's been shamed is running to you and you run away from them, you're in sin. Because we cannot refuse that integration because they are integrated whether we like it or not. It's like your children. Your children are your children whether you like them or not at any given moment in time. You know, the, the, the wife can't say to the husband, this is your fault when the children misbehave because the family is integrated. You get that, right? Absolutely essential. Resolve to value the weak, honor the disgraced, and to cover the broken shame, showing them honor by affirming their worth, affirming their purpose, and affirming their integration with the body of Christ. Number four, fourth thing that we can do is reaffirm your care and concern for others, especially those who have experienced shame, and resolve to protect one another from shame vigorously. We need to reaffirm your care and concern. That's what Paul says. He says, hey, everybody, have the same care and concern for one another. Have the same care and concern. Uh, show concern. Reaffirm that you care. Reaffirm your concern. Now, we're going to express that in different ways. Of course, it's going to be different. But the key way that we can show our care and concern is by protecting people from shame. We must protect one another from shame. Now, I'll talk after, uh, so I'll talk after the break. It sounds like a bit of a commercial. Uh, I'll talk in a couple of weeks about what that means because a couple of people have asked me, well, does that mean if you're covering this, does that mean that you never expose what somebody does that's wrong? No, that's not what that means. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest honors that we can show people, if you want to know what that is, come two Sundays from now and I'll tell you. Because it's one of the greatest ways that God honors us, and it's one of the greatest honors that we can have for one another. And so if you're curious about that, you need to come or you need to listen in if you're listening to this uh, online. So you must reaffirm your care and concern for others. And number five, we need to relate to one another like Joseph related to Mary. Now it's such an amazing story. I mean, I could easily spend a a whole hour or so on that story. It's just so rich and so beautiful. But look what Joseph does. Now, get what happened here. Joseph and Mary are betrothed. Uh, they've not had sex, okay? So they've not been fully married. But legally, they're married. So it's like they really are husband and wife, except they haven't had the ceremony yet to confirm their husband and wifeness, and then they haven't done the husband and wife thing husband and wives do on their wedding night so that hasn't happened so here's Joseph looking forward to marrying this beautiful woman named Mary all of a sudden Mary's pregnant and that's not like today I mean today you get away with that but in that day if you were pregnant as a betrothed young woman that meant that you were acting like a prostitute that was one of the highest forms of disgrace and shame that a young woman could bear is getting pregnant outside of marriage. And so here's Mary. She's gotten pregnant outside of marriage. And so what does Joseph do? Well, first of all, he resolves to act righteously toward Mary. 
No, he doesn't try to shame her. He doesn't attack her. He wants to maintain a right relationship with her. He resolves not to wrong her in any way, even though he could have acted very strongly against her. And by acting righteously toward her, what is he doing? He's trying to preserve her dignity. He's trying to preserve her worth before God. And then he resolves not to shame her. To be like Joseph, we must never intentionally shame another person. We must never use shame as a weapon. We must never use shame to our advantage. That's what Joseph did. And when God appeared to Joseph, and this is the most extraordinary thing of all, when God appeared to Joseph and said, Joseph, this thing's from the Holy Spirit, you know what Joseph did? He stayed married. Effectively, Joseph was bearing Mary's shame. Even though Joseph was not responsible for her shame, Joseph did nothing to shame her. Joseph had not had sex with her. But simply by saying, I'm still going to marry this woman, Joseph was effectively admitting publicly, at least in the minds of people, that they had had sex before they were married. Again, a very shameful thing to do. Joseph effectively, by willingly bearing Mary's shame, was implicating himself, even though he was shameless, uh, in this instance. He resolved not to shame another, and he willingly bore the shame of the one who was blameless. And that's what we have to do as well. We must resolve to willingly bear one another's shame, even though somebody might look bad. I mean, sometimes people look at the church, not particularly this church because you're all great people, but they'll look at the church and they'll say, oh, there's a lot of broken people in that church. There, there, there are a lot of wounded people in that church. The, the people are not really behaving like Christians should behave. And, you know, the temptation for most of us is to shame the church and say, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, there's a bunch of hypocrites and, you know, miserable lowlifes. But our call, you know, is to say, hey, that's okay, God loves us all. And Jesus has borne that. And Jesus values every single person in that. We must willingly bear the shame of the blameless, just as Joseph did. And when we make these our intentions, make these our practices, to remember that Jesus can only set us free from shame and we must pray for one another in light of that reality, when we recognize that we're all one body in Christ lifted out of shame, when we resolve to value the weak, honor the disgraced, and cover the broken, when we reaffirm our care and concern for one another, protecting one another from shame vigorously, and when we relate to one another like Joseph related to Mary, we will be a community that lifts people out of shame and people will be set free from their shame and more, Jesus will receive the glory and there will be more and more shamed people that will come into our midst. And you know, that's going to be the greatest challenge. When more and more people who have experienced shame, their own shame from what they've done and also the shame from what others have done to them, when they start to come to us, it will make us seem like we might be shameful as well. It could tarnish our reputation. 
It could make us seem low. It could do any number of things. And I say, I don't care. Because I want to bear shame together as Jesus bore shame on the cross. I want to be like Jesus to the people in this world around us. And I want to be able to communicate that in Christ Jesus there is freedom from shame and we can live together and we can minister together and we can serve together and we can love together as the body of Christ in a way that lifts people out of shame, especially of those who have been shamed by those around them. And that's our call, and that's our drive, that's our desire. But let me tell you, church, that's happening already. We're doing that now. I know that we're doing that now. Even yesterday, I experienced it myself. You know, I've been dealing with a lot of things over the last number of months. I won't go into it all now. It'd take, I'll, I'll give you some in the church meeting. A lot of challenges. And there's a lot of decisions I've made that I've, I've been upset about. And I, I, I've looked at myself and I've just, I've, I've, frankly, I've felt ashamed for a number of things. Not sinful things, although, you know, those things I feel ashamed for and I repent of and God cleanses me and heals me and the shame goes. But I'm talking about things, just the normal things, you know, that show that I'm a weak human being I'm not quite enough in myself and I'm not afraid of that because I am enough in Christ and I am enough in you guys. And, uh, and I make it a practice of sharing these things with the elders. I mean, we have a beautiful elders group. I make it a practice. And yesterday, so I, I opened my heart quite a bit uh, uh, to the elders. And uh, at the end of all of that, I'm there. And one of the guys looked at me and said, Rod, we are with you. We support you in your decisions. We're together. And in that moment, the shame broke. In that moment, Jesus came in in the power of the Holy Spirit and started to heal. In that moment, we demonstrated in a living, vital way how we have already become a community that is passionate about seeing people set free from shame and never using shame as a weapon, resisting that demonic attack on us of shame that's going to increase in the days ahead and showing that we are a community of Jesus Christ, sons of God, who will no longer tolerate shame in our world, in our lives, in people, and we will certainly not tolerate it in people who have been wounded and broken and beaten up by sons of disobedience who promote shame in our world. And that is my resolution, and I pray that you join me in that resolution because we are not going to stop until we see shame defeated and we see demons flee and we see Jesus exalted. And we're not going to stop until all the benefits of Jesus, especially the freedom we have from shame, that we can overcome shame, that we don't have to be victims of it, we can be victors over it. We will not stop until we see Jesus manifested in us in victory over shame. If you're with me in that,
Just lift your hands before the Lord and let's receive his spirit again to be the people he's called us to be. Father God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, come. Father God, in the name of Jesus, fill us in the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, come on us right now. Come on us right now. As you're sitting there, there's a few of you that are, are seeing in your mind things that have been done to you that have shamed you. Not things that you've done because of your own sin, but things that have been done to you that have shamed you. Father, in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come on those people right now and that you'd start to penetrate them from the top of their head all the way down through their entire body with your love. I command in the name of Jesus apostolic peace to come upon you, that wholeness, that shalom, in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command the love of God, the love of God to fill you up afresh and anew. In the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, I see that wound. I see that wound that's in your spirit. It looks to me like a tear, a tear in your heart, a tear in your soul that's filled with blackness. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I command that to be filled with the balm of Gilead, the love of Jesus Christ, the love of our Father. Holy Father, come by your Spirit and fill up that crack and heal that woundedness. Lord, I just have a picture in my mind of someone that, that the shame is like boils on the inside of them. This welts that have grown up that have calloused over their heart. Because of this shame, you feel like you have a callous heart and it's tightened up around you and it's almost like there's boils that have grown up on that heart. In the name of Jesus, I ask you, Father, to, to, to take your, your holy, uh, uh, what, what is that thing? Uh, uh, doctors use it to cut people open with. Uh, uh, scalpel, thank you. Uh, Father, in the name of Jesus, take your holy scalpel and I just see that scalpel coming down in the hands of our Lord Jesus Christ and it's just cutting off, it's cutting off that, that, that stuff that's built up around your heart that's containing all those boils and it's cutting that away right now in the name of Jesus and that's begun to fall off your heart. Just receive that. Receive that. I just had a picture in my mind of somebody, the shame has caused like a dam, like a water dam in your brain that is holding back the reality of God. You know something is true in your heart, but in your mind you've never really been able to connect fully because it's like all of the stuff that God's wanted to impart to you has been held back by that dam somewhere in the recesses of your mind so it's not got freedom, it's not been released and right now in the name of Jesus I see a wrecking ball come to that dam and it's being swung against that dam and it's not going to take 40 swings right now the dam is cracking in the name of Jesus and the water is starting to spill out 
And in the name of Jesus, just, just receive that. If that's connecting with you, receive that. God is going to start to give you some new revelation about your purpose in life and His plan for you that's been held back to you because of shame that's been done to you. If that's you, receive that. God's breaking that dam and releasing you from that right now in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. The Lord, show me another person. You feel like you have a burden on your shoulders. It's like a person has shamed you. And the way that they've shamed you is that they have spoken, they've heaped up responsibilities on you. And you know this because they said, oh, you should do this. You should do this. You should do this. You should do this. If you're going to be a good boy, a good girl, you're going to do this. You should do this. You should do this. You should do this. Every time they said that, they've made you feel less than 100%. They've made you feel insufficient. They've made you feel inadequate. And every time, it's like there's a sack on your shoulders that that is weighing you down and you've, you've had a really tough time holding that up on your shoulders. And now the Lord is saying, stand up! Know who you are in Jesus Christ. You are a son of God. You are the bride of Christ, the sinless bride of Christ. You are part of the body of Christ. You're a saint. You're a holy one. Stand up. And as soon as you stand up in that reality and you choose to believe that's true for you, that bag of bricks is going to fall off. I pray you release that now, Father, in that person's life in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, Holy Spirit. Continue to minister to your people. Continue to fill us. Fill us with the ability right now in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill us with the ability to pray for one another so there is healing and freedom. Help us pray for one another so there is healing and freedom right now to the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'd like to have the worship team come up. We've got two songs of worship that we're going to sing. But if you felt, and this is going to be bold, and you don't have to own up to this, by the way, uh, but if you don't own up to it now, then follow my instructions here in a moment. But if you felt that one of these words that I gave and there might be more than one person, but one of these illustrations I gave, which I don't even remember them all now, if you felt that one of them applied to you, just lift your hand up a little bit. Okay, keep your hand up. Now, guys, look around to, to hands that are up. Uh, now, if this is not, if, if you felt like it was you and you didn't lift your hand, uh, that's, that's okay. Then tag somebody. But now, Church, look around to the people who have their hands raised. Uh, it's men to men and women to women. Uh, men are not praying for women. Women don't pray for men. Men to men, women to women. The Lord is speaking to you right now to go and pray for one or more of these people. And so he wants you to go. 
Marcus, I'm going to pray for you right now. Forgive me. I'm praying in public. Father, in the name of Jesus, I command this shame that Marcus has been carrying in his mind and his life to come off now in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Marcus, you are a son of God. You are a man of God. You are a mighty man of God. You are a man of honor. And I release you, I release you, I release you in the name of Jesus as a spiritual father from all the shame that you have been carrying. It is not yours any longer. Lay it down and stop carrying it in Jesus' name. You are free from it. Resist it. Refuse it. Release yourself from it. In the name and authority of the Lord Jesus. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.